Somebody give the Lord praise or thanks for something he is or does or will do. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Steve is over that. Oh my. <laughs> That's great. Oh my. Anybody anybody else? So if nobody else wants to say anything, we're going to read from Psalm 146 today. Psalm 146. And Psalm 146 says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will make music to my God as long as I exist. Do not trust in human helpers, in a mortal man who cannot save you. His spirit departs. He returns to the ground he came from. On that day, his plans have perished. Blessed is everyone who has the God of Jacob as his help. His hope is in the Lord, his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything which is in them. He is the one who stays faithful forever. He obtains justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord releases prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the aliens. He's not talking about aliens from heaven. He's talking about aliens foreign people from different places, the, the fatherless and the widow he sustains, but he turns aside the way of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, rules for all generations. Praise the Lord. Says the Lord, we've come to praise together. We're going to sing some songs. First, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together.
morning. Now's the time in the service for communion. If you've not been here before, we have uh, little cups you should have received when you came in that have the bread and the juice. All you got to do is open each one of them and you'll be able to get to everything. Today I'm going to read from John 6, 53 through 58. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Uh, from heaven, your ancestors ate manna and died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. 
So why is communion important? Because Jesus said it is. His very words tell us why we should take communion. In verse 53, he says, Unless we eat the flesh and drink the blood, we have no life in us. In 54, he tells us we have eternal life if we take communion. In 56, he says, if we do this, we will remain in him and he in us. And in 57, if we take communion, we will live. And to close in 58, if we take communion, we will live forever. Communion is so important that by taking it, we will remain in Christ and live. Remember, Remember that as you enter into communion with him today. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for bringing us here safely. Bless this communion we are about to take. Let us remain in you and live as your word says and help us to remember why why communion is so important. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now is the time in the service for announcements. Um, We're always collecting uh, empty pill bottle donations um, so we can give them back to Matthew 25 Ministries. They use them across the world to ship medical supplies and for shredding and recycling. We're also accepting used ink cartridges, bring them in so we can recycle them to reduce costs of office supplies. Food pantry closed closets every Thursday, five to seven. There's a list of most frequently needed items. Donations can be dropped off at the church on Sundays after service or Thursdays during the five to seven time frame. Refit is free dance fitness class here Tuesday, Thursday, 6.30 to 7.30, right here in the sanctuary. If you have questions about that, you can talk to Kristen in the back. (laughs) 
<laughs> breakfast fellowship um, is the first Sunday of the month at 9.30. Breakfast is better when we eat together. If you haven't been, come. Um, you don't have to bring anything. Um, if you would like to, you can contact Carol, but come and meet someone new or just come and eat. Mellon Ridge Ministry um, is today at 2 o'clock. So we are bringing worship to the residents of Mellon Ridge facility that's located here in Goshen. Lunch is provided. Um, there is, um, I took the sign up down because it's for today. If you didn't sign up and you would like to go, let me know. Um, but it's really a great time to um, sing with people that don't ever get to get out, that may never hear about Jesus. Um, it's somewhat of a lock facility uh, because they have mental health needs and are unable to care for themselves. So um, it is safe, though, I will say that. Um, and we do have a good time. They, they are requesting songs, almost as if it's karaoke, but <laughs> they are worship songs. So, you know, the old rugged cross seems to be one of the favorites. So, you know, it's good. They um, really enjoy when we come there. And I know for me, I walk away being blessed. Last year, we did it every month. This year, we're scaling back a little bit to every other month so we can make sure that we are meeting all the commitments that we're signing up for. Four ways to give um, in person, offering boxes in the back of the sanctuary. There's an online option, looks real tiny there. Um, there's a text option in the, in the Faith Life app. I will follow up to this. We are gonna try to work back into the bulletins that we used to have before COVID. Everything that I'm talking about should be in here as well as what to expect today. If you wanna invite a friend or a family member, it says kind of how the service goes. Um, children's church ages and um, ways to serve, ways to give. On the back, there is a little sermon outline and then some sermon notes and a um, place to put prayer requests if you have something or someone that spoke to you today. Um, now it's time for the 10-minute meet and greet.
Sing his praise aloud. Oh, awake my soul and sing. Sing his praise aloud. Sing his praise aloud.
Talk loud, bud. Thanks. Sounds good. All right, let's get started. You want to ring the bell? Where's the bell? Ring the bell. She took the bell.
That's right. All right. <laughs> here we go. Preachers in training up here. So, <laughs> so we're going to jump right into the Word today, and uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 14. Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. So uh, let's turn it together in our Bibles to Luke chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 to 14. When you find that in the Bible, uh, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the title of today's teaching is, Repent to be Ready. Repent to be ready. In Luke 3, 1 to 14, the Scriptures say, Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, Herod, being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He came into the entire region around the Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley will be filled, every mountain and hill will be brought low, the crooked will become straight, and the rough way smooth. All flesh will see God's salvation. To the multitudes who went out to be baptized by him, John said, You offspring of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say among yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Even now the axe also lies at the root of the tree. And so every tree that does not bring forth good fruit is to be cut down and thrown into the fire. The multitudes asked him, What then must we do? John answered them, Whoever has two coats should give to the one who has none. He who has food should do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what must we do? He replied, Do not collect more than what is appointed to you. Soldiers also asked him, What about us? What must we do? He said to them, do not accuse anyone wrongfully and extort from no one by violence. Be satisfied with your wages. You may be seated. Are we ready to enter the kingdom of God? How can we know we're ready? And what must we do to get ready? So in a, in a word, we must repent. The repent was the first word John the baptizer spoke when he began his public ministry, and repent was also the first word the Lord Jesus spoke when he began his public ministry. Repentance is vital to salvation. Repentance is necessary to make us ready for the Lord. And in today's passage, as Luke walks us through the ministry of John the baptizer, Luke teaches us at least two truths two important truths about repentance. So we're going to talk about those truths and see how they make us ready for God's kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I ask you to open our ears to hear the truth, open our minds and our hearts to accept the truth, and to give us the will and the ability to obey the truth through your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the first truth we learn about repentance is the call 
to repentance. Now, the year is around 27 AD, and we know this because in Luke 3, 1 and 2, Luke tells us who the secular and religious rulers were at the time. I'm not, not going to bore you by reading those names again. You can read those if you want, but we need to know that Luke mentions all of these names to emphasize that these are real historical events, events that his readers could verify. And this is important because, as Luke says in Luke 1, 1 through 4, when he tells us his purpose for writing the gospel, he says, many have undertaken to set in order a narrative concerning those matters which have been fulfilled among us. Even as those who were eyewitnesses and servants of the word since the beginning have delivered them to us. For this reason, it seemed good to me also, after reviewing the course of all things accurately from the beginning, to write an ordered account to you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So Luke writes his gospel so that Theophilus, which means friend of God, Luke writes his gospel so that God's friends can know the certainty of the faith that was delivered or handed down by the apostles once for all to the church. These are real events. This stuff really happened. So Luke writes to tell us about that. So in the year, so the year is around 27 AD. And in that year, Luke tells us in Luke 3:2, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now, the John here is John the baptizer, and I'll remind you, as I always do, he's not John the Baptist. John was not a Baptist. He was John the baptizer. He baptized people, which is why they called him the baptizer. And I don't know why Baptists call themselves Baptists, because they don't like to baptize anybody. Anyway, so, so Luke has already told us John was born miraculously to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Both of them were very old. And Elizabeth was unable to conceive children. But the Lord opened her womb and enabled her to conceive. And nine months later, little John the baptizer was born. And we don't hear a whole lot about John, but we know that at some point, we don't know exactly when it happened, but at some point, John left Zechariah and Elizabeth, and he went to live alone in the desert. As Luke tells us in Luke 1.80, And the child grew up and became strong in spirit, and he was in the desert until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So in our passage today, 30 years after John's birth, the word of God came to John in the desert. And here Luke echoes the language of the Old Testament. So when God spoke to and through his prophets, the scriptures say that the word of God came to them. And then they delivered the word of the Lord to God's people. And in the same way, the word of God came to John, John the prophet in the desert. And why did, he, why did the word of the Lord come to John? Well, because his time to appear publicly had come. It was time for John to fulfill his mission. John was about to go from unknown desert dweller to a prominent public figure because of that mission. What was John's mission? Well, the Lord sent John to preach the good news of God's kingdom. So on both sides of the Jordan River, John preached the good news, the kingdom of God was coming. The king was coming. And God's people needed to prepare themselves, to get themselves ready to meet their king and enter his kingdom. And in Luke 3, 3, John tells us how he expected people would respond to this message. He says, John was preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now, notice those two words, repentance and remission. Let's talk 
just a little bit about what those words mean. First, let's talk about the word remission. Now, most modern translations translate this word forgiveness. So John was preaching that people must repent and be baptized to have their sins forgiven. And in Acts 2, 38, in a similar scene to the one we read about in Luke 3, Luke tells us on the day of Pentecost, the apostle Peter also preached the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Luke tells us, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So both before and after Jesus came, people were told that they, the way to respond to the good news of God's kingdom is to repent and be baptized to have their sins forgiven. But there's more to this than just forgiveness. The Greek word translated remission in Luke 3 and forgiveness in Acts 2 is the same Greek word Jesus reads from the book of Isaiah in Luke 4, 18 through 19. Jesus reads this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to deliver those who are crushed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Now, the word in blue, I think it's, yeah, the word in blue up there is the same Greek word translated remission in Luke 3, 3, and forgiveness in Acts 3.38. So John came preaching or proclaiming the good news. The kingdom of God was about to arrive, and to be ready for that kingdom, people must repent and be baptized so that they can have their sins forgiven and be released from captivity to their sins. And this proclamation is the same proclamation that still goes out today. If you and I will repent and be baptized, we will be forgiven and released from our sins, released from the penalty, the power, and the practice of sin. The penalty for our sins will be taken away. The power of sin will be broken. And as we follow the Lord Jesus and obey His commands, we will no longer practice sin. So we've got to repent to be ready for God's kingdom. But what is repentance? Well, the Greek word behind repentance means to transform our minds, to transform the way that we think about the Lord, about ourselves, about the world, about sin and Satan and all these different things. And this transformation of our thinking will lead us to transform the way we behave to match this new way of thinking. So repentance has two equally important parts. It's a turning away from something and turning toward something else. So if we're just turning away from something, that doesn't really help us live our lives right. We need to turn toward something. Repentance leads to turning away from the kingdom of darkness and all the sinful ways of the world and turning toward the kingdom of light and the righteous ways of the Lord. And repentance is not just a one-time event that happens when we're born again. Repentance is a way of life for those who will enter God's kingdom. So we've got to keep having our minds and our lives transformed to enter the kingdom of God. Now, Romans 12, 1 through 2, Paul shows us the ongoing nature of repentance. Writing to people who've already repented and been baptized, Paul says, I therefore urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices that are holy and pleasing to God. For this is the reasonable way for you to worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but continually be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may be able to determine what God's 
God's will is what is proper, pleasing, and perfect. Notice it's continual. We have to do this continually. To be ready for God's kingdom, we've got to continually be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And how do we do that? You can probably guess what I'm going to say. We got to be in God's word constantly. You got to know God's word. You have to be reading it, be hearing it, constantly doing those things, and by participating in the life of God in the church. We not only got to read his word, we got to do what it says. So being, having our thinking changed so that we can do what the scriptures say so that our lives are changed. This renewal of our minds will cause us to continually renew our behavior to match God's proper, pleasing, and perfect will. See, that's why we need to know what God's word says. God's word tells us his will. And if we don't know his word well, then we don't know his will well. So we need to be in his word constantly. And I could talk about that for a long time, but let's go back to what, back to John. So John preached the baptism of repentance. And in Luke 3, 4 through 6, Luke tells us through John's preaching, John fulfilled the words of Isaiah the prophet. He said, John was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley will be filled. Every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight and the rough ways smooth. All flesh will see God's salvation. So 400 years before it happened, Isaiah the prophet predicted that a forerunner would come, someone who would make ready the way for the Lord. Now, he's mentioned in all these highways and all these things that are going to be crooked stuff going straight, but we see that he's not talking about physical things. He's talking about people have to change. People are going to be prepared. This forerunner will be a voice crying out in the desert, calling God's people to prepare themselves, to get themselves straightened out to be ready for the coming of the Lord and his kingdom. See, we hear people all the time tell, tell people to come as you are, right? Come as you are. It's not in the Scriptures. The scriptures don't say that. The scriptures say, repent. You've got to turn away from it. Get yourself straight to come to the Lord, right? That's not come as you are. You turn away from what you are to come to the Lord. So Isaiah predicted this 400 years before it happened, that this prophet would come. Isaiah also predicted after the forerunner came, God's salvation would not only be seen by Israel, but all flesh, all nations would see the salvation of God through the Messiah and his kingdom. John the baptizer is the forerunner whom Isaiah spoke about. John came to call the world to transform our minds, transform our behavior, so that we would be ready for the coming kingdom of God. John preached the baptism of, of repentance for the, remission, for the remission of and release from sin to make God's people ready for God's kingdom. And Luke goes on to give us some practical examples of what repentance looks like. So we're going to talk about that as we turn our attention to the second truth Luke teaches us about repentance, the fruit of repentance. So we have the call to repentance, and we also have the fruit of repentance. In Luke 3, 7, Luke tells us what John said to the crowds who came to be baptized. He says, you offspring of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now, I've heard people say that John wasn't really... He didn't have like an angry look on his face when he said this, right? He's like smiling, you brutal vipers. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that that's the way. Those, the, that language doesn't come across that way to me. Does it, you, do you think he's smiling at people when he's saying this? See, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew emphasized that John was speaking specifically to the religious leaders. But Luke, he expands John's words to include the whole crowd who were coming out to be baptized. 
John calls them all sons and daughters of snakes. Well, why would John say something that seems so harsh to people who want to know how to get into, the king, into God's kingdom? Was John just a terrible preacher? Uh, did John need to take an evangelism explosion course to be taught how to share the gospel? Maybe get, get hooked up with Ray Comfort or them and learn a way of the master so he can learn how to be a, an effective evangelist? No, John says what he does to the crowds because he knew many were coming to be baptized for the wrong reason. See, they did want to avoid God's wrath. They wanted to avoid God's judgment, but they did not want to change their lives. They wanted forgiveness and fire insurance without repentance, without changing their lives. They were relying on baptism and their national heritage to save them from God's judgment. Since they were Abraham's physical descendants, well, they thought they were assured of salvation. No matter what they did, they get a spot in God's kingdom. So they saw no need to change. And this is why John goes on to warn them in Luke 3, 8 through 9. Therefore, bring forth fruit worthy, sorry, bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say among yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. So John's point would have been crystal clear to his Jewish audience. The being Jewish and being baptized are not enough to get you into God's kingdom. If all God wanted was mindless, heartless children, he could raise those up from the stones. But he doesn't want that. He wants people who turn from their, their wicked ways uh, willingly and turn to him willingly. He wants us to serve him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love him with all the heart, mind, soul, and strength. See, being Jewish and being baptized are not enough to save you from the coming judgment. Those things are not enough to get you into the kingdom of God. You've got to change. That's what John is telling his audience. See, everyone, whether Jew or Gentile, everyone comes into the kingdom of God the same way. We've all got to change. We've all got to bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. And what does John mean by that? Well, John means that repentant people change their behavior to show they've repented. Their repentance is evident in the way they live. The repentance is not just about saying, I'm sorry. It's not just about confessing our sins. Although if you read, I can't remember which gospel it's in, but it says that people were coming to John and they were confessing their sins and he was baptizing them. Maybe a practice we ought to start doing again, right? Have people, why are you coming to be baptized? What do you, I'm confessing my sins. I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. That's what they were doing when, when they met John. But it's not just about confessing our sins. No, true repentance makes us sorry enough to stop sinning. See, when we truly repent, we prove our repentance by the way we live. As the New Living Translation puts John's words in Luke 3.8, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. And when we move over to the book of Acts, we see that Paul the Apostle taught the same truth as John about repentance. And while telling King Agrippa what Jesus said when Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Emmaus, in Acts 26, 17 through 20, Paul says that Jesus told him, I will rescue you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and receive remission of sins as well as an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And Paul goes on to say, therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. 
But I proclaim this to the people of Damascus first and Jerusalem and throughout all the country of Judea. Then I also proclaimed it to the Gentiles. Now, what did Paul proclaim to both Jews and Gentiles? Well, Paul proclaimed that they should repent, turn to God, and do works worthy of their repentance. So notice that Paul's mission, just like John's mission, was to turn people from Satan's power and Satan's kingdom to the power and kingdom of God. Why? So that they could receive remission or release from their sins. They do that by repenting and doing good works, bringing forth the fruit of repentance, fruit that's worthy of repentance. And again, the New Living Translation of Acts 26.20 brings out Luke's meaning. I preach first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they all must repent of their sins and turn to God and prove they have changed by the good things they do. So John told his audience before he would baptize them that they needed to repent and bear the fruit of repentance. They needed to prove by the way that they lived that they were turning away from sin and turning to God. And then John also tells his audience the awful result if they don't repent and produce the fruit of repentance. In Luke 3.9, John says, Even now the axe also lies at the root of the tree, and so every tree that does not bring forth good fruit is to be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now this is some really scary stuff. This is imagery of what the coming judgment of God is going to look like. Fruitless trees, trees that do not produce the good fruit of repentance, Fruitless trees that don't do the good works we're called to do in Christ will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, Jesus talks about this awful day in Matthew 13, 40 through 42. He says, just as the weeds are gathered up and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will pull out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and those who continue to break the law. The angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, only those who produce the good fruit of repentance, only those who, through God's grace, stop breaking God's law will enter into the kingdom of God. And it's only those who enter into the kingdom of God who will avoid being thrown into the blazing furnace. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I don't want any part of it, and I assure you none of you do, right? Now, preaching a message like that has a way of making people question their life choices, right? And that's exactly what John's audience did. They're like, what should we do? Do they want some specifics? They're like, okay, Mr. Preacher, we get it. We need to repent and show we've repented by the way we live. But how do we do that? Well, Luke goes on to tell us how three groups of people responded to John's preaching. And through their questions and John's answers, Luke gives us three practical examples of what it looks like to bear the fruit of repentance. And as we walk through each of these examples, we see that the fruit of repentance is treating others the way we want them to treat us. The golden rule, we know what it is, treating others the way we want them to treat us. Now, some of John's audience that day were common people. They were the first group to ask John what they should do. And in Luke 3.11, John answered them, Whoever has two shirts should share with the person who has none, 
And whoever has food should do the same. So basically, John's saying, use the excess you have to serve others. You've got two shirts, give one to someone who has no shirt. You have all the food you need and more, which, yeah, we all got all the food we need and and a lot more, it seems like, right? You have all the food you need and more, give to someone who has no food. And this is obviously, this obviously applies to more than just clothing and food. If we have all that we need, and if we have more than we need, God doesn't give us more than we need so we can just use it all on ourselves. God gives us more than we need so that through our abundance, we can help others who don't have what they need. I think First Corinthians, I'm pretty sure Paul talks about that. Maybe Second Corinthians, one of those. See, when we see others who do not have what they need, that we should share what we have, any abundance that we have with those in need. So when we bear the fruit of repentance, we will love our neighbor as ourselves. See, just as if we were in need, we would want others to share with us out of their abundance, so we should share with others in need out of our abundance. I think we do a pretty good job of that here as a people in the church. But here's a question we should all ask ourselves. Anytime we're confronted with the Word of God, we should always ask ourselves, am I living in line with this? Only you can answer this question, and you're not going to have to answer this question for anybody but yourself when you meet the Lord. Could I be more generous by sharing more of what I have with others? Do I need to transform my mind about the way I use the things the Lord allows me to gain? Do I need to be more generous? Are there clothes in my closet that I'm never going to wear again? The thing from high school that I've been saying I'm going to get into for the last 30 years, and you're never getting back to that size. I'm sorry, you're not. You're just not. Give that to somebody who can use it. (laughs) Am I bearing the fruit of repentance by being generous to others as I want them to be generous to me? So think about this. We got stuff we don't use that's just sitting in our closet. Jesus said it was uh, the moth and the rust destroy it. Why don't we use that for something, give it to somebody else, and then it, it Gives, it gets us treasure in heaven. So it's in the closet. It's not doing anybody any good, right? Give it to somebody. Get your treasure laid up in heaven, and that's, uh, that, that treasure never goes away once you give those things to other people. So I think I've already asked this, but I'll do it again. Am I bearing the fruit of repentance by being generous to others as I want them to be generous to me? Now, the next group of people who ask John what they should do to produce the fruit of repentance are tax collectors, everybody's favorite person. You know, most Jews despise tax collectors, right? And that's been going on and on. Even most people here despise tax collectors too. But but the Jews especially despise any fellow Jew who was a tax collector for at least two reasons. First, tax collectors were working for the enemy. Now, Jews were under Roman rule, and Jews who collected taxes for Rome were considered traitors, the most despicable people on earth. You're collecting money for the enemy. But I think it's interesting that when tax collectors ask John what they should do to show they repent it, John does not say, stop being a tax collector. doesn't say that. Being a tax collector was not the problem. And we may not want to hear this. I don't like to say this, but it's true. Part of being a good citizen of God's kingdom is paying our taxes. Sorry to burst everybody's bubble. But as Paul reminds us in Romans 13, 17, give to everyone as you owe, taxes to whom taxes are due, revenues to whom revenues are due, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. Nobody likes to pay taxes, right? But taxes are part of life, and they always will be. 
and somebody's got to collect the taxes. So John does not say stop being a tax collector. In Luke 3.13, he does tell the tax collectors, do not collect more than what is appointed to you. And this is the second reason most Jews hated tax collectors, because they were dishonest. They created their own little side hustle. See, they charged people more than they owed so the tax collector could keep the extra for themselves. And I don't know if they paid taxes on that money or not, but maybe they should have. That fell flat. So, John, so John says to the tax collectors, if you want to flee from God's judgment, well, you need to produce the fruit of repentance by treating others the way you want them to treat you. See, if you're a tax collector or anybody, you don't want somebody taking more from you than what you owe them, right? So he says, don't collect any more than what the Romans require. Stop being dishonest and taking advantage of others to make money. And we may not be tax collectors, but we still need to be honest in all our dealings with others. So we need to avoid any temptation to be dishonest to help ourselves out at the expense of others, whether this is money, monetary, or any other way. To produce the fruit of repentance, we must be honest in all that we do. And we come now to the final group of people who came to, to uh, John to be baptized. Soldiers came to John and asked what they must do to bear the fruit of repentance. In Luke 3.14, John says, Do not accuse anyone wrongfully and extort from no one by violence. Be satisfied with your wages. So I can sum it up real well here. John tells the soldiers they've got to give up blackmail and beatdowns. Got to give up the blackmail and the beatdowns. See, soldiers did those things because they were not content with their wages. The Roman soldiers were paid terribly low and unfair wages. So they abused their power as soldiers by forcing people to give them money. And if you refuse to give them money, well, these soldiers might threaten to accuse you of a crime that you did not commit, a crime that would get you thrown into prison, or even worse. They also might threaten to beat you down or actually beat you down if you did not give them what they asked for. So John says, well, you want to produce the fruit of repentance, stop blackmailing people, stop shaking people down for money, be content with your wages. And how does this apply to us? Does this mean we should all work for minimum wage and never ask for a raise or never expect a raise, any advancement? No, it doesn't mean that at all. What it does mean is we should never seek advancement at the expense of others. And that could come in running someone else down. Let's say you're, okay, we're in, in a competition for a raise, right? And I got somebody that's against me, so I start running that person down, saying words against them, to help myself out in this race for this, this extra money. It's basically the same kind of thing. That we must be content with making honest wages and not tearing other people down to get there. We must never try to get ahead at the expense of others. We must never use dishonest means to make money. To bear the fruit of repentance, we must be content with making an honest living. Now, as we close... I'll ask this again. Are we ready to enter the kingdom of God? How can we know we're ready, and what must we do to get ready? As we've seen today, Luke tells us that we got to make repentance a way of life. Repentance is vital to our salvation. And today we've learned two truths about repentance. We've talked about the call to repentance and the fruit of repentance. Just like in John's day, God still calls each and every one of us to repentance. God calls us to turn from the kingdom of darkness, to turn from breaking God's law, 
and to turn to God and live a righteous life worthy of King Jesus and his heavenly kingdom. And we do that through the grace that God provides for us. Repentance will always lead to action. Repentance will always produce the fruit of turning away from sin and turning toward God. Repentance will always produce a changed mind that leads to a changed life. And in many ways, the Christian life is always, the Christian life is a continual repentance, a life of continual repentance. As we learn God's good, pleasing, and perfect will, His will for us through His Word, we see where we're not quite conformed to Christ's image. And anywhere we're not conformed to Christ's image, I don't like to say this, but it's true, anywhere we're missing the mark of Christ, guess what that's called? It's sin. We've missed the mark. The mark for us is to look exactly like Jesus. Anywhere where I'm missing that, I've missed the mark and I've sinned and I need to ask the Lord to forgive me and I need to ask the Lord to help me to transform me through His grace so that I can look just like Jesus. So we see that as we study God's Word, we see that where we're not quite conformed to Christ's image and we seek God's grace to transform our minds and our behavior until every part of our lives is shaped by obedience to Christ's commandments. That's what we got to do to repent, to be ready. Don't just do it today. Do it every day. As you, learn, as you learn the word, turn from the things that are not what God wants for you and turn towards God and, and obey his commands. And he'll give you the grace to do it all. Let's all stand for prayer. Holy Father, we ask you to help us better understand the meaning of repentance. Help us to understand that repentance leads to a changed life, that when we truly repent, we produce fruit that shows we repented. Point out to us any areas in our lives where our minds need to change and where our behavior needs to change, where we may be falling short of the image of your Son, and continue to give us the grace to prove by the way we live that we're turning from sin and turning towards you. We ask it in Jesus' name. They're going to sing a final song. While they do that, if you would like to come forward and pray, there is a, you're welcome to do that. If you want somebody to pray with you, someone will be up here to do that as well. If you want to know more about what it means to follow the Lord, we'll be available also after, after the service to talk to you about that. If you want to, again, know what, what it means to, be, to repent and be baptized, all those things, then talk to one of us after, after church about it. Um, if you're sick at all in your body, scriptures tell us that if we're sick, we call for the elders of the church, anoint people with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer offered in faith makes sick people well. So we believe that here, but we also believe there's a, there's a condition to that as well. He says, so pray for one another, or confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, so that you may be healed. So if that's something you want to do today, someone will be up here to, to work that out with you as well. So I'm going to speak the Lord's blessing of you all, and they're going to sing the final song. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah.
Jesus Messiah 